And so the philosophy and the need kind of all came together. And so we sort of just started building in that direction. It was taking so long to build the MVP and I was getting impatient. And so I bought a Webflow template, built a landing page on my own and like put it up in one day, literally guys in one day, put out a Twitter to my non-existent Twitter following like, hey, we're <laughs> launching this thing, let me know. And then I literally went to bed and woke up the next day and it had like exploded. So it's interesting when you have like a name like Pulpit AI, I think the It doesn't initial... do us any favors. It doesn't do us any no, favors. No, yeah. The sure. initial assumption is someone just slapped chat GPT into something when it could be completely different. Hello and welcome to What Would Jesus Tech? Today we have the leader, the founder of one of the most controversial technology products of 2023, uh, at least for Christians on Twitter. Uh, it is extremely controversial, apparently. Uh, we have the founder of Pulpit AI, Michael Woodle, and uh, it's a new product. It promises to help pastors save time by writing small group curriculum, writing social media posts, all based around their sermon. It does not write sermons. Okay. Uh, we'll get that out front. Um, I wanted to reach out to Michael, uh, not because I think I'm going to agree with everything, um, actually, but because I think the dialogue will be interesting for Christians who want to reflect well about the technologies we use and the technologies that we build and what principles should we consider? How is a church different than other contexts? What is the content that we should be consuming? So as we're talking and we're going to focus on him and the story of pulpit AI, but how is this going to apply to you as a listener and user of different forms of media? Uh, anyways, we'll get into all that. I'm joined by Joel Jacob, my co-host. He is in tech, working at Splunk right now as a principal product manager. Uh, Joel, what does your voice sound like? <laughs> hey, nice to meet you all. I'm happy to be here. Uh, very excited for today's pod. Uh, thanks, Andrew, for setting this up. Yeah, no worries. And And Michael, thank you for joining us. Just Mike or Michael? Whichever is easiest, whichever right. is easiest. Uh, it's good to well, be thanks. here, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no, thanks for coming. Uh, yeah, so if you're new to listening, What Would Jesus Tech is a podcast devoted to the tension of loving Jesus and loving technology. And so what we want to do is really dive into Pulpit AI. Uh, Mike, what is your story? Because you start in a way that most people don't. You hear about stories of like, oh, I started in technology and then I went into ministry. But you're kind of started in ministry and then went into technology. So help us understand that. Yeah, it was weird. My my uh, journey, if you will, has literally been all over the place. Um, but ministry has been the, the through line through all of it. So I got saved when I was 13 in a big charismatic megachurch in Dallas, Texas. And... Um, Graduated high school early, went to Bible college in Dallas and served at my local church there. <clears throat> church went through sort of a blow up, if you will, um, when I was about 22. Not like a moral scandal, just a lot of what we've all seen. Bad leadership, mm. change in direction, kind of all of all of the above. Um, church actually doesn't even exist anymore. Um, mm. But when I was 22, I was like, if this is ministry, I want no part of it. And, uh, but when I sort of stepped off staff at my church, I was like, I don't even really know who I am. I'm 22. This is since I got saved when I was like 13 or 14, my whole identity was like Christianity and, and ministry and, and all of that. And there was really only two things in my life that I loved other than that. And that was the Dallas Cowboys and movies. 
Um, and so I had always been a written and, and written scripts. And so I, I basically got an internship in LA and, and, and started working in film and independent film. Uh, but it was sort of like the tail end of that independent film era. Um, and so about a couple years in the company that I was working for, um, lost its funding and a friend of mine called me, I was broke living in Santa Monica uh, and a friend of mine called me and said, Hey, I'm working at this advertising company, advertising and media company. Uh, the founder and the CEO lives in LA and his assistant just quit. And if you can get here, like by the end of the day today, I can probably get you a job. And, um, so I went and, uh, turns out that the guy who I worked for was one of the inventors of taxi top advertising. So he was like the first person to ever, you know, sort of take anything other than, strip clubs and alcohol and cigarettes and put them on a taxi top and sort of redesigned it. And he had just sold a big piece of their company in the out-of-home advertising space um, and was moving into sort of the digital advertising, digital ad tech. And so I spent seven years working with him, starting about seven different businesses, uh, essentially sort of taking, bridging out-of-home advertising into sort of this like digital layer. So I just fell in love with entrepreneurship and I fell in love with technology. Um <laughs> And have been kind of involved in that world ever since. At the same time, uh, helped me and about 20 of, of my best friends planted a church here in LA uh, in 2015. Um, and so have just been a part of building that. So kind of just been doing ministry and sort of entrepreneurship kind of side by side since then. Very cool. So. Very cool. And like, help me understand more of like the product that you're, you're working on now. Like what was a point where you were inspired or said like, okay, we got to do this and this is the next step in my career. Yeah. So I had, um, uh, during COVID I had, I had gotten really, um, disheartened by Christian content online <laughs> to, to say it a, a better way. I felt like as a local church pastor in LA, I was just noticing this trend of people being like way over inspired and underformed, so to speak, mm -hmm. especially in the stream of church that I came up in, right? Where it was just yeah. all about like inspiration and what God's going to do for me. And, um, and so I, me and a couple buddies just were like, there's nothing in the landscape that reflects like the tone and the style and the level of thoughtfulness that we think needs to be there. So we started this company called Vast, which is just sort of like a connected podcast network, similar to like, like the ringer barstool sports, so to speak. We were, that's what we were saying. We're going to build the barstool sports of Christianity. Um, and, uh, so have honestly been like head down building that for the last couple of years. And as we were looking at what it would look like to scale that company, um, we honestly got under the hood of like the Christian influencer space and, uh, <laughs> hated, hated what we saw, you know, and honestly, was like, if this is what we're going to have to perpetuate in order to grow this thing that right. we want to grow, I, I don't want to be it part greed? of it. Is it greed? Is it pride? Is it like just some of the some of the ways um, that Christian influencers indulge, or it's like, or even more of the same of like just like surface level uh, self help gospel? So, so sort of for me, it was lack of local church accountability mm -hmm. and lack of local church belief. And, you know, most of these folks we talk to and not, not the people that we work with now. In fact, the people we work with now, the reason we work with them is because everything they do exists to build the local church. Right. But all of these people, it was like, 
they've got massive YouTube channels or podcasts or followings. And it's like, they haven't stepped foot in a local church in years, mm-hmm. you know, or yeah. they haven't served at their local church, you know? So for me, a lot of it was just that it was like all these Christian influencers, which I get it. They're doing what they're doing, but there's no local accountability. They're not creating with a body, a local body in mind. Um, and so, yeah, so all that to say, kind of at the same time, we were just trying to find a way to, you know, we were producing like 10 to 12 podcast episodes a week. And we were honestly trying to find like a product that would just allow you to upload your file and turn it into like show notes, transcripts, blogs, whatever. Mm-hmm. And couldn't find any that were good. And so came across uh, a product um, and a group of technologists that were building something that we really loved and believed in and tried and were, was really useful and worked. And so reached out to them and said, hey, how can we work together to build something for like faith-based creators? So literally like people like you guys in mind who are like, we have a podcast, we have jobs, but like, you know, we want to use this thing. And so we started kind of building this tool. And then honestly, one one week I uploaded one of my pastor sermons to it and mm. sort of said, hey, can you type out some discussion questions? Can you, I reached out to the communications person at our church and who also leads our youth, who also leads our small groups. And I was like, hey, like, would a tool like this be impactful for you? And she was like, this would, this would save me 10 hours a week. And so the philosophy and the need kind of all came together. And so we sort of just started building in that direction. Um, and then quite honestly, I, it was taking so long to build the MVP and I was getting impatient. And so I bought a Webflow template, built a landing page on my own and like put it up in one day, literally guys in one day, put out a Twitter to my non-existent Twitter following, like, Hey, we're launching this thing. Let me know. And then I literally went to bed and woke up the next day and it had like exploded. And so if I make light of all of this, it's because it's like still a joke to me. Like I'm so passionate about it. And we've now, I mean, you know, we're doing something we really believe in, but I thought it was going to be like a micro SAS tool that 50 people were going to use and was just going to be like a fun project. So that's the long and short of, of, of sort of, yeah, I mean, that's, here. yeah, it's really cool. I think, and that's how like good products work is you hit a nerve, right? So it's like, you're like, Hey, there's a problem here. And it ends up being that like, there's a lot of people who are interested about that problem and, and can recognize it's a problem, but then also like, is a solution, the right solution. And that probably even like accelerated the growth. Um, I mean, it's really cool about your story about how you got that website up. There's a lot of like, no code tools around that really we're, we're standing on all the shoulders of giants is a phrase, right? All these technologists before who's made it even easier to develop technology. Um, so I'm, I'm not sure if you do know, but like, what is under the hood? Like, are you using like an LLM? Are you using some of like the big tech ones and kind of repurposed it? Or what, what are you guys using under the hood? Yeah, that's a great question. So, um, yeah, so we have licensed exclusively in the faith-based space, um, a neural network that's been being built actually for five years. So about 5% of our product is connected to chat GPT. The rest is this proprietary and, and, and won't be actually by the time we launch publicly. Um, hmm. But yeah, our product is a proprietary uh, model that has been built by a couple of really, really smart guys who have been building for the last five years, a AI podcast player. Um, and so our model is literally built to extract audio and represent the themes from it mm, properly. Okay. Um, so 
which again, you know, when all of this blew up and everybody had such strong opinions about it, I was like, man, if, you know, I could, I could explain why a lot of these worries are real, but not necessarily real in the context of our product at the moment. Yeah. Right? Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so it's, it's, it is literally what we believe is the best model out there to extract audio uh, and create content from it. Yeah. And, and yeah, so I think we've, I, we've partnered with them and, 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 uh, are sort of just building kind of around their technology. And then we're also looking at a couple others to, to add to the mix now. Yeah. I think that's a really good, uh, nuanced point for a bunch of listeners who aren't familiar with the AI space is like AI kind of got really popular. It was it just this year. Oh my gosh. Right. I know <laughs> it's moved so fast, but like, because of uh, LLMs, ChatGPT, that's how people, the, the veil was torn, so to say, where it's like, oh my gosh, things are going to change. Um, but a lot of people have been investing in AI and really like this subset of AI machine learning and doing these neural net models for a long time, right? Like the whole uh, Alexa, Google Assistant was actually just like a, a foreshadowing of the advancements in AI and there's been lots of development where it's like, what is meaning from the sentence and stuff? Um, and they're using completely different algorithms. Um, so it's interesting when you have like a name like pulpit AI, I think the it doesn't initial do us any favors, it doesn't do us. Any no. Favors, yeah. For sure. The initial assumption is someone just slapped chat GPT into something when it could be completely different, which yeah, I think that's really interesting to know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's not, when people hear pulpit AI, they sometimes think, oh, the AI is going to be delivering sermons on Sunday. Um, why did you choose not? Because like one of the things you state explicitly on your website and on your Twitter presence as well is that this is not going to write sermons for pastors. Is it because there's other tools available or is that more conviction for you? Um, yeah, it's conviction. It's also not the problem I feel like I'm supposed to solve, nor the problem that I even want to wade into those waters of should it be. Now, I think there's the difference between helping someone prepare for a sermon and writing a sermon, right? Like mm -hmm. there is a huge difference there. And I've said this before, kind of like tongue in cheek, but you know, I come from charismatic Pentecostal background. So if we could build an LLM that could exegete scripture better than most of the pastors in my church movement, <laughs> um, I may be for that, uh, so I can pick on my own kind. Um, no, I mean, in all honesty, that was just not even, like, when I launched the product, I didn't even think about that. Like, it was just never even in my mind. Obviously, now looking back, some of the language that we used on the site and and obviously the name and all of that kind of stuff lends people specifically right. people who like to spend all day just posting opinions on Twitter <laughs> and not actually reading Dunks what reading. they're seeing, yeah. you know, which is fine. I get it. It's, it, it is the, it is the medium, but um, no, it's just not a problem that we feel called to solve, nor would I ever do right. Like I wouldn't do it. My co-founder Jake, who is a local church pastor and a brilliant, brilliant human being, like we just would never do that. And so, and all the pastors I know would never do that. So it just didn't even really cross our minds that, that that would be a thing, but obviously it is right. Um, and I, and since this has all happened, guys, there are dozens of products that are being built right now in the faith-based space that will do just that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, 
yeah, and they can tailor it to your own writing style if you upload your own writing content. It's it's pretty wild. And mm-hmm. and this has occurred like there are you can buy sermons. You can buy, oh, I want to preach sermons. There's which there's the, ways to purchase it, right? Which, and the Christian writing industry has a whole other thing of ghostwriters. Like there's a are lot you trying of to, weird Are you trying stuff. to get me you're trying to get me you're trying to get me to rant, aren't you? Aren't you? No, I'm kidding. I'm I'm just making note of some of the complications that I think you accurately have convictions against. Um, And I think it's important just to, just to nuance the conversation. I mean, that's the benefit of a podcast of a a podcast format. The medium Mm -hmm. does affect the message. Um, Even just on that note, there's, there's kind of this irony to me. You're, you're like pro local church pro, you know, local pastor. Um, You use the word accountability. Like does Mm -hmm. anybody talk about accountability to their local pastor? These days, like that should be talked about more. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you have Chris Martin talking about that in one of the chapters of his book, The Wolf in Their Pockets, of like how much social media has negatively impacted the influence of a local pastor. Uh, we had him on the episode to t- uh, mm-hmm. on the podcast to talk about that a bit. And so you have kind of these dynamics at play of the medium is negatively impacting the local church and you're trying to almost subvert the medium, but still use the medium, Mm -hmm. right? Like, so you want to take a pastor's message, send it through your software out pops, you know, here's some tweets, here's some, some Facebook posts, here's things like that. Like it will, it will take something from one medium, uh, an embodied sermon on a Sunday and we'll distribute it into another channel. So there's there's this irony to me in that. It's on one hand you have the local church, on the other hand you're like let's let's get more content into this medium that we've already joked about has mm-hmm. limitations and problems. How do you how how are you trying to reconcile those that dilemma? That's a great question. Um so let's let's talk about my f- I guess sort of my philosophical, for lack of a better term, beliefs around that. And then and then I want to talk about the way in which we're building the product. Cause I think I think the 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 philosophy determines like sort of what we're building, right? So yeah, I just read a statistic the other day that half of millennials and Gen Z believe that uh, online moments, interactions, uh are of the same value as in-person interactions. Uh, they believe the same with relationships, right? So um, that's something that none of us believe is true or should be continued to be propagated, right? Uh, that being said, it's there, right? I, like, so, so <laughs> I, I talk about the local church because I am a local church pastor. I s- talk to people, like this is not some theoretical thing, right? This is like, I have been doing that aspect of ministry for a long time. And so do we help people understand what like a proper way of thinking around technology and social media is? Yes. Uh, Do we also need to help provide them uh, with, you know, ways to interact with that in a healthy way. Right. So I think you sort of tackle both, you know, both, both and now in terms of product. So there's two different ways a product like this can be built. There's product as mark as a marketing tool, right? And then product as a resource creation tool. Okay. So, and I'm just giving you guys like real time insights as to where we're at as a company and as we build, and we've got like mm-hmm. 35 users testing this now. Um, 
uh, we very much intend to build towards how do we build a product that can help a local church resource their own local church? Like how do we create a digital ecosystem unto itself so that every pastor, and I've said this before, can have a digital signal to their congregation uh, should they want to, right? So our sort of number one focus is not how do we help you turn your message into marketing material? Now that will happen. And 40% of the 2,000 people or so that have signed up for our product have indicated that's how they want to use it, okay, <laughs> uh, uh, predominantly. But the other 60%, and in fact, when I look at the usage on our platform already, um, the, the highest sort of statistically how this is being used is things like devotional content, uh, email recaps to the church, small group questions, uh, leadership content, things like that. So um, I don't know if that answers your question. And I get what you're saying. We don't want to propagate this sort of like um, desire to grow on social media, you know, so, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and but then I guess I, I would say lastly, when it comes to product building, we're working on a like a video product, right? To where AI will be able to help you um, cut clips and put captions on them, right? Uh, the other products that are out there are built for virality. Ours isn't. Mm -hmm. So like we're mm -hmm. not building a AI model that will pull the most viral moment from your sermon. Uh, mm -hmm. In fact, I think if you're a local church pastor and that's what you're trying to do, you're doing it wrong. You know what I mean? Um, again, we want to pull out an idea. We want to. So, so again, I, I don't want to sound like I'm just defending what we're doing here. I'm just trying to give you some of the philosophy of like, yeah. how we're building and why we're building in hopes that it helps people understand like the goal here is not to just help pastors become social media influencers. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, no, I think, I think, and this is like my off the cuff response here because I hadn't researched pulpit AI because I wanted to have my genuine first reaction. I think what you're touching on is actually like what often happens in the Christian space is we're like, Hmm, Politics, that's an area that we're not really feeling good about. We're going to withdraw from that space because we don't want to be involved. And then what ends up happening is other people step into those shoes. And then now we're living in a society where we're like affected by the space that we've regressed and pulled out from. And the same thing is going to happen with technology, right? It's like if you aren't making pulpit AI and someone else makes a pulpit AI, how are they going to take it? And it's that decision for us to be like, hmm. This will affect the current medium that's being used of like, you know, Twitter and all of these type of like online digital reactions. And like our society is going that direction, whether we kind of like want it or not. So withdrawing is not the way to affect that. Actually being engaged and steering it is. So I'm actually um, all of a sudden a supporter, you know, of that <laughs> mission. And I think that's what we're trying to do here, you know, with this pod too. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. So how, but how do you think people are, or go ahead and mention your point, but as, after that, how do you think people will feel knowing their pastor is using like AI? Um, I, you know, I, gosh, I'm trying to decide which way to take this. I think, I think, uh, the vast majority of churchgoers want a pastor that loves them, knows them, is faithful, integrous. Uh, and so I, I think oftentimes as pastors, uh, we get caught up thinking people think about a lot more than they think about. 
you know? Mm. Um, I mean, look, I think if a local church pastor is using AI to write their sermons, like I wouldn't go to a church that that, that was the case. <laughs> that being said, like, go watch YouTube. Every young pastor just regurgitates Stephen Furtick and Judah Smith and Matt Chandler. And like, it's not like, so, so like Tim Keller, you know, whoever your stream, John Mark Comer, you name the guy, right? Like every pastor under the age of 40 is just a caricature of whoever they watch and listen to. Like it is the way that it is. Pa- like you mentioned, Andrew, pastors have been buying sermons for decades, right? So do I think that's an issue? Yes, I think it's probably an issue for a much smaller subset of people than, than we actually think. Um, but yeah, I think that's, I don't know if that answers your question. No, it's, I, I feel this tension. Like it's, it's the tension that, I don't know, did Paul feel like he was going to cause this controversy when he said, I'm with you in spirit to the Corinthian church? Like, did he, did he worry that that would detract from their worship together. Um, he cared a lot, obviously, about them actually gathering together, and he wrote that in the same letter. And it's just kind of like this tension of using letters, even though that's not as good. I, I love Second John. I just love how short we have a letter in the Bible that it's like, hey, I want to write a lot to you, but I'm not going to because my joy won't be complete until I see you face to face. See you soon. Bye. Like, there is that tone in scripture, but then there is this he still sends a letter to say, I want to see you soon. There's that use of that secondary medium of not physical in person where you can feel each other's spit, but no, this letter <laughs> that's going to get mm-hmm. delivered. Mm-hmm. And, and so, yeah, you think about using these, these mediums. And I think when we start to think about more extreme versions, so if someone told me, I'm going to be a digital evangelist, I'm going to go on porn websites and I'm going to, comment there and join chat rooms and stuff like that. I would say that medium actually is not conducive to a spiritually mature person engaging and doing evangelism. Like, yeah, there are dark places, but you're going to have to interact somewhere else. And, and maybe you could argue against me on that. But like, there are some mediums that so impact the message that they shouldn't be touched. Totally. And so I would agree. what is, how do we make sense of social media? Like, you know, when we're talking about youth and there's a stronger opinion that we might have there, but so many of us live on these digital spaces. We have these digital liturgies, if you will. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them do not include Christian content. And I've seen this gap in people in my life. And then I'm like, oh, I should introduce my own content. And it is a lot of work to write content. I can think about a tweet and I think it's easy to send off, but it takes me 15 minutes of grammar checking before I mm-hmm. send it. <laughs> and so I do appreciate, you know, that there is, and you can think about preachers through the histories that have like distributed their sermons. You could argue that the book of Hebrews is a sermon that has been reproduced in a written form for the benefit of more people. You know, I have my reservations of that. I personally decided in the last year to never share my own sermons on social media, like to not link to them. I personally decided that part of it was just my own disposition in writing the sermon started to become, oh, what if so-and-so sees that on Twitter? What if so-and-so sees that part of the sermon on Facebook? And you can lose an edge if you're always worried about being criticized. So, 
I feel this tension and I'm like, I, uh, on one hand, I'm like, man, pulpit AI, it's the future. And some of my friends are like loving pulpit AI. They're retweeting all your stuff. They're just like huge. And I'm like, man, I respect my friend who loves pulpit AI. And then I see another person I deeply respect say, this is pretty much of the devil. Like they didn't say that they weren't, <laughs> they weren't that guy. Cause I know mm-hmm. people said that about your product too. It was so good. And it was so funny. It was wild, it. like just the, the just the extremes, and I was just like, I I tried to write out my thoughts, and I struggled, like to to put down on paper, and my thumbs up or thumbs down, and I just I just wanted to talk to you, and and, and yeah, I love that. address it with you, you know. Why do you think we need to be thumbs up or thumbs down? Couldn't we be like thumbs sideways or? I mean, yeah, I think you the know? reality is, and I'm, is I'm not saying you're saying are. you needed to be one way yeah. or the other, right? Yeah. But I no, think no, that man. was, I think that was my thing, you know, is like, and I agree with you, man, and like even, and gosh, like, dude, to just be transparent, like the Monday after, um, I called two of sort of my theological mentors, and I said, "Have I missed something here?" Like there was this, mm. there's this thing that I didn't think about, and and I would say probably the only critique that was real that I took to heart and actually still quite honestly and very much thinking about and sorting out in my mind, not the Christian publisher who says there's no such thing as faith-based creators yet publishes books for Joel Osteen, like not their responses and not the whatever alt account that says demons are in chat GPT. Like that is what it is. I will have those funny debates back and forth all day, right? It's funny to me and fun. But when someone was like, I, I someone was like, oh, man, sh- you know, should a sermon be called content? You know, or, and, and to me, I'm like, I mean, sure. That being said, if we believe that that is a bad thing, then there goes 75% of the Christian books that are published, by the way, <laughs> like, Zondervan, let's, let's like, let's, let's see what was being, you know, so I get that yeah. argument, but I did call, I called both of these guys who both have their PhD, um, and, and run seminaries, uh, and, and are men who have been serving the body of Christ pastorally and in academia, uh, for decades. And I said, is there anything I'm missing here? And, um, you know, I think, I think those are questions we always have to ask. And I think as Christians, mm-hmm. if we're not always asking that, then we're probably not being faithful with what God's entrusted us to build, right? Whether that's ministry, business, life, whatever that is. So um, I get yeah. it. I do. I actually legitimately, for all my joking on Twitter, I actually do get the, uh, I do get a lot of the fear. For me, a lot of it is context. And maybe this is my, maybe this is my like local church pastor thing, but like, if you just, you blog and you, you know, don't serve at your local church and you're like a Christian voice, like go talk to 30 pastors and ask them what they spend their time doing every week. And so I think for me, that was what was really interesting is people who like want to talk about the nuances of this, who like can understand both sides, the like intellectual theological side, but also just like the practical local church side, you know, um, I'm off topic now. Sorry. I'm no, no I, super, I mean, I'm, I'm just, it's a great point. I mean, I think I, I just wanted to say almost like a hot take here. Mm-hmm. Um, coming from like the tech builder's point of view, you know, I love to do what you're doing where it's just like surrounding, surrounding myself with theologians like Andrew. 
But sometimes when I'm talking to like a local pastor about what we're building in AI, it's really, it goes over their head, you know, because if you're thinking about like the best leaders in business who are like masters of their craft, they know that space to a level that the pastor just can't know because they don't have the domain experience. So there is a limit that they can provide based on the lack of depth in the domain. Mm -hmm. They can definitely give you like some good theological advice and feedback, but like really understanding how AI works, like really, and that is kind of like quintessential to understanding the moral implications. Like what you mentioned earlier is like there, it's almost like a sentiment based neural network, which is completely different than LLMs. And it's like, you just say AI to a pastor, it's like a completely different conversation. So I, I would always say, like, take things with a grain of salt, um, which is how I, I guess for me, I believe when I'm building things, it's like they may not really understand. And like you said, it's like almost a thumb sideways until mm-hmm. more details are revealed. Mm-hmm. Well, and everything has trade-offs. So that's where, like, the Kranzberg's first law of technology, technology is neither positive nor negative, nor is it neutral. Mm-hmm. Like, we should reject uh <laughs> the trinary, I don't know, binary, whatever. Uh, we should reject just simplistic yes or no. We can say PowerPoint is good because more people can sit in a service and see the songs and you can vocalize better, but it has trade-offs because now we no longer see the notes and know how to sing in harmony and improve our the way we sound. And then the musicians turn up their volume because they sound better than everybody in the... And then all of a sudden, we like there's trade-offs to all of these things that happen. And there's a lot of those trade-offs that are already going on. And I think part of the tr- problem with Pulpit AI is because AI is new to people and there's just this wildness to chat GPT and obviously... ChatGPT 3 versus ChatGPT 4, like 3 had a lot more errors in it, for lack of a better term. Like it, it had more left bias in it, um, politically, um, uh, whereas ChatGPT 4 protects more from that, but it, it's all context based. It's interesting that we're talking about worldviews. The founder of ChatGPT is like, Hey, that's, it has, we need to give it a worldview. <laughs> it's like, oh yeah, that's, that's right. And that's what you're talking about with your neural net. So it's a neural net that is based around a Christian worldview. Um, and so it's like to the pastor, it's like maybe AI is sometimes the word that you need to use in the beginning, um, to, to help them understand the general category, but then to slow it down to say, okay, but here's what's actually happening. Your sermon is going, we're taking sentences from your sermon. Then those sentences are getting judged against other words and other things like that, other Bible things to check theological accuracy, all these different things that it could do. And then it's giving you this output. And sometimes the mushy middle with AI is more difficult because you can't name every single step of consideration that a learning a machine learning model does but it's just it's just data at the end of the day it's just code it's just like when you do a google search or things like that obviously it needs to be evaluated on its own use it's not the same as google but it goes through these steps and i don't know it's it's like i'm not endorsing it by saying that i'm just saying that it's less scary once you get into the nitty-gritty is that fair Mm -hmm. totally let me ask you guys this question would it be even less scary if the model had a uh, partition or sandbox around it, if you will, that was historic Christian orthodoxy. So you go to ChatGPT and you write, I live in Los Angeles, California, 
what's the quickest way for me to kill 20 people? If I type that into ChatGPT right now, it will not give me that information back, right? Right. What if Pulpit AI would not put out information that went contrary to um, what a uh, wide swath of Christian theologians and orthodoxy determined as, okay, does that make it less scary? Yeah, I think frankly, we actually that's what went we're doing, through that, that. Because frankly, that's what we're doing. Yeah, and, yeah, and I think that's what you need to do. Mm-hmm. Like, sorry to interrupt there, but it's like, even with ChatGPT in the beginning, there's all this controversy about like, oh, is it leaning left, leaning right? And the reality is like they have the safety net and then someone is pushing their thumb to add like a flavor to be like, you know, we're not going to say this. We're not going to talk about Jesus. Oh my gosh, because Jesus is this figure and we are going to talk about Muhammad, right? So there now is this belief that there's going to be multiple different AI variants, which are tailored to like some sort of safety net or like moral net. And I think actually like for you guys, as you differentiate your product, you're going to say like, well, our product has this actual safety net based on this like orthodoxy and stuff like that. And I think that's like a value, valuable point. Well, sorry, go ahead, Andrew. I don't want to interrupt you. I'll just, I'll just jump in and say an agreement with Joel and I can foresee a future where like TGC within the next five years is probably going to have an AI and it's going to be TGC's AI based around all their crazy amounts of resources that they've produced they have their own commentary of scripture now so it's not that far off it's just a different I mean, delivery about mechanism. if logos if if logos wanted to do it logos for sure it, it now that's that's interesting in terms of the copyright versus tgc owning it and then you figure out your relationships you're like okay logos and lex and press get along and then tgc and crossway get along and then oh mm-hmm. then we get the esv rights and so you start to think about but it's just a delivery mechanism in part of you want to ask a question. I've done this. Like for the last 10 years, I've done this. I've Google searched, is it morally acceptable to IVF Gospel Coalition into Google to get Gospel Coalition content on the question of IVF? And Google was a better search mechanism than the TGC website because their search isn't as good. Mm. Is it not the case that a AI tool that has more filtering in it with what you're talking about could also deliver that same experience. And instead of the chat GPT right now that it's very link light, it doesn't link outside of itself or provide references. You could build it to provide more references. In his commentary on first Peter, Peter Enns argues this. However, this argument has been made shown to be defeated by so and so. Like you could. This is this can all be built. It's search mechanism and delivery using AI. And we're just talking about delivering it out to people. So yeah, so that's why I think mm-hmm. it totally makes sense what you're building. Yeah, yeah I got a question for you. Oh, go yeah. ahead, Mike. Go ahead. No, no, go for it. I was just gonna say <laughs> it'll it'll be interesting to see how collaborative the greater body of Christ wants to be with that uh research and information. Because yeah. the truth is this could be built. We could build this literally our team could build this in six months in six months you could log on to pulpit ai you could upload your sermon and then we could have different personas based upon theological belief and denomination if we wanted to and if you write a blog because we're testing it right now with you know a twelve thousand person charismatic megachurch and a pastor of a methodist pastor of 15 people in louisiana that doesn't even have a sound system in their church right like that's the scope of people we're testing it with right now and we're already seeing right you know my methodist brother's like hey 
it like it said this and so I just had to like change a couple words so that it like theologically it wasn't it wasn't heresy but it was just like ah this kind of is a bit of a different twist on it yeah and so you know one of the big things we've been being asked by people is can when I log in can I answer a questionnaire so it knows my you know theological bent and can it take that into account and I say absolutely it's do the people that have access to all of that resource and data like would they be willing to play ball and and be a partner in something like that because that is what it's going to take or it's going to take you know a few years of research to sort of create that on our own or any of the other companies that are building stuff like this right yeah and i think um so i guess it's almost a two-part question one is um you know i love product strategy so i'm interested in your perspective of like longevity how do you feel about like other people kind of like making other products what's your like market defensiveness right and then related to that really is similar to what we saw with chat gpt let's say scraping off of reddit scraping of other uh, sites and then like what evolved is like the copyright aspect of it and like trying to people trying to monetize their data and i think well maybe to even give you like a step that a step in the right direction that like people are thinking is like a lot of the value prop is in the unique data models right um and like obviously being to market first does give you an advantage but i am curious to hear like your thoughts on you know what you think might be advantage what's like one picture of the future where pulpit ai is like you know the market leader versus all these other people that might be copycats Mm -hmm. so i think we have a team of people who you know, I'm not doing this by myself, right? We have yeah. uh, founders and CEOs of faith-based tech companies that are reaching over 100,000, collectively over 100,000 churches. Um, some of those are reaching really, are c- cater to large churches. Some cater to small to medium-sized churches, right? Um, as, as well as in theology, you know, sort of, sort of Bible college seminary space. So we have a team that I think understands the space most importantly, understands what local churches and local pastors need and want. So we're building that with, uh, like, we know our customer, right? Like, I am a local church pastor. My co-founder is a local church pastor. And so I think that is a unique, like, a unique perspective that we're building with that in mind. Um, I think um, our willingness to stick to predominantly being a resource like a like a like a product that helps churches resource their people um and building in that direction is a unique perspective that we have there are tons of people building similar stuff i mean i'm in every group and i see it and i think it's amazing because the truth is is that for every denomination and every flavor of church there are products that are like built for them you know Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think in this world, especially in the Christian world, I think niche is going to win. I don't necessarily think there's going to be like one market leader. I think there's going to be a bunch of different products, um, predominantly because there's not capital, like venture capital right now is not super bullish on the faith space. They made a lot of investments in the faith space in 2020 and 2021 that, Hmm predominantly none of in fact none of them are doing really well right now you have a consolidation happening in sort of the christian tech space in terms of like the giving platforms and all the stuff that goes around there so like like we're 
okay, like we would be like the hottest faith-based startup right now, which is hilarious to say, but it is what it is, right? I have to so convince hot. a venture. I have to venture. I have to convince a non-Christian venture investor that our market is even big enough for them to like take a look at us. So I don't think that there's going to be a bunch of capital splashing around like you see in non-faith-based stuff. So like, I just think it's going to be a lot of people like us who are just like two or three people grinding, building for a specific niche and like building in that direction. Um, because there's just not a lot of like, even in the AI hype cycle, like there's not a bunch of people looking with dollar signs at the faith-based space. Can, can like, you actually, like they're yeah. much more interested in finding the right AI tool for accountants or veterinarians or, yeah. you know, you, yeah, yeah. even coaches, real like, estate agents, like you name it, right? Like not churches and pastors. Think, Our TAM is yeah. not big enough, you know? Yeah, we, we, there's like statements Our like TAM 2 is big billion enough. people. Our TAM is definitely big enough. If you're an investor listening, <laughs> I'm, kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, like there's like 2 billion Christians in the world and like, I mean, there's five million pastors, two and a half million churches, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. like all of those metrics. I mean, you know better than me, Mm -hmm. but like, can you, for our listeners, can you like distill a little bit more about like this Christian VC space? Like, I'm sure like there's only, like you said, it's a smaller group. So only a few people have this like inside view as to how, like, how's it shaking out? Mm. I will say, man, I have been super, um, it's it's cool to have been introduced to that world and to be having conversations with those kind of people. Um, there's a lot of great, smart people out there, right? Uh, what I see is there's like two camps. There's sort of, if you think of it, and the world is not that big, but it's sort of bigger than you would think, you know? There's a huge camp that's basically just mission-driven, right? And they right. are, it is mission, 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 Um most of those people fall into what I would call like the the global Christian way of thinking. Like they're thinking more big picture. They're thinking global church. Global church. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you just have like the local church people who, you know, just are a bit more pragmatic, wanting to help churches and pastors. And so, um, man, it's really That's interesting. Me and, my, you know? me and my wife are those two different camps. Just, you, just to yeah, yeah, yeah. give you an example dynamic of our household is like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, man, I've been super encouraged, you know, and I, I will say this, that everyone that I have talked to in the Christian space, everyone, and, and, and I do mean everyone, cares about AI ethics. They care about doing it the right way, and they care about, uh, they care about the right things. And, like, I can say that in full transparency, and I've probably had a, two or three dozen conversations with people. Um, and so that's a that's a thing that I think is uh, hopeful, you know, like nobody that's a Christian is just looking at like a quick money grab. Um, right. Uh, yeah, at yeah, least yeah. from the people I'm talking from the folks I've, I've talked to. And there's a lot of really amazing companies. You know, there's a company called glue, which if you guys haven't chatted with him, there's a guy named steel billings. He works for glue. He heads up their AI fund and uh, I can connect you guys. They are running a real time survey. They've surveyed 40,000 churches uh, on sentiment across AI, across, across the body of Christ. I saw Christ. that survey. And, um, the data they have is amazing. Absolutely amazing. And I don't know like what mm. I can share or what I can't, but I would reach out to him, but like, that's, that's, I would say, if you look at like that ecosystem, I would say they probably have more capital than anybody else in the faith-based space right now. And, and their primary concern is youth and use and ethics. Um, and even with their fund, they're just, they're not operating just like a venture fund. 
Um, so, yeah. Well, and how do you feel like the Tim Tebow's fit in? They're more like the angel, like, you know, they're Christian, but they have lots of money and like, yeah, but I've Mark, been seeing that Mark he's Wahlberg, actually Mark Wahlberg's going to invest in Pelpit AI, man. Like, what are you talking about? No, I'm kidding. I'm no, kidding. like I think from what I've seen, like like Tim, for example, has been investing in like some Christian tech stuff. So there's like that flavor of it well, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, you have you know, cut. yeah, you have the you know the Pray dot coms and the Glorify. I mean, Glorify. I don't know if you guys have even seen that app, Glorify. I mean, they raised eighty million from SoftBank and A16Z. Right. Like you're talking, yeah. you know, uh, I think Tebow was probably one of their angels, right? Like one of their first, first checks in. Um, yeah, I, I, I think still at the end of the day, it's a Tam thing. Like, like people just look at it and they're like, if they're looking at it purely pragmatically and like, mm. I just don't know that they're super interested in the Tam, what's Tam? in the church, just like a totally addressable oh. market. Yeah. Oh, yeah, like sorry. How, sorry. Like, you like you tech words, guys, I understand now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And there's Sam too. Sam and Sam are buddies. Sam and Sam. Sam. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, and we'll see how it shakes out. But wild. Yeah. Wild. Yeah. No, I mean, it gets me really excited. I think like down the road, I'll probably join you as like a founder. And heck yeah. That's top of mind is like, do I do a product that, maybe has a bigger addressable market than just like the Christian population, um, but has a gospel component to it. So it's still like can bring the gospel to the whole world. And now your TAM is a whole world. Right. Mm-hmm. And then your service and what market is like, obviously a subset of that. So, you know, I think it's, it's a, it's definitely a question to wrestle with. And ultimately this like pragmatic point of view has an influence into how your product's going to be created. Right. Cause it will maybe even steer you in one direction. And that's always been like one of the complications, I think even for like regular startups in general is like your investors end up steering your product in a different direction, especially if they have board seats and all of that. Right. Mm -hmm. So almost to your point about the Christian VC space is that like, if these people are all truly Christian, there is this like moral compass and like, undercurrent that can actually nuance some of the conversations from your regular um bc people so i do think that will be a differentiation in the flavor you'll mm-hmm. get from those conversations which is cool to bring to light and i've also met some amazing just christians in traditional vc like non-christian vc who are right. like mm-hmm. all about this kind of stuff i had a guy who's like a growth stage investor reach out and was like dude i love the church i love what you're doing let me know if you you know we don't invest into this kind of stuff but like let me know if there's anything i can do to help right you. he's just like a christian like amazing guy you know part of his local church <laughs> serves at his local church has invested in huge companies um so yeah it's going to be interesting to see like how it it shakes out for sure super cool. it, al- it almost reminds me of like Universities sometimes have an organizational structure where you have the money side, the board of governors, and then you have the Senate, which is the academic oversight body, so that you can maintain the money income from the board of governors, but you're ensuring your intellectual credibility and academic freedom from the mm-hmm. um, research side. And it's almost like pulpit AI. You could have non-Christian VCs and you could have a board, but then you could have an advisory board that's more wrestling with the theology anyways it's going to be wild to see what happens 
and we're and well, I was just going to say, and we're working on, you know, we're going to be putting out a a joint course on sort of church technology and AI uh, with some partners of ours at Theos University. Uh, We're going to be doing some white papers. Like, here's the beautiful part about this: is anyone who's building in this space in the church um, to market the product is to educate about the product, and so like. (laughs) It's not about features. It's about helping people understand what this is, what it does, how are we supposed to think about it. And so I think anyone that's building in this space, if they're not, just like you said, Andrew, like if they don't have a team of people that are helping them theologically wrap their head around this kind of stuff, um, they could drift, drift off into areas that they probably probably shouldn't. And so I think education is going to be a huge piece to this. And so, um, yeah. 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 I don't know if, when if I worked that's... at uh, my my company that I was part of, that was only eight people. It was an AI product. It was helping you hire, but it would give you data. Here's a score. Hire this person. They're 94. You know, this person's only a 22. And we actually cut off scores lower than 30 because of the negative sentiment that people would build towards low scores. And it's like, no, that's it's not always accurate. You had to add these caveats. You had to do that education to the user. And I'm sure pulpit AI will need to do something similar to the users. And that's, that's what you're describing. And, uh, there's always unintended consequences with any product and you just cannot predict them. And you could not predict them with the printing press that, yeah, for all, for all we love it, there was also negative consequences with fake news proliferation of that. Like every product not only has trade-offs, but has unintended consequences. And yeah, this is going to be no different, but I really appreciate your willingness to talk to us about it. You are clearly wrestling with this. Um, I could see the emotion on the video uh, as you're talking through. And I just, my heart goes out to you, man. Like, I think you're doing something that's important and I'm glad you're thinking through it well. Um, And so, yeah, keep up, keep up what you're doing. Keep thinking well, keep, keep, hard at work. And, uh, I hope it goes well. I hope, I hope it can really benefit churches because I can see a use for it. I literally at my own church told our small groups leader, Hey, why don't you use ChatGPT to create small group questions based around the pastor's sermon and just use it as a co-pilot, not a command center, mm-hmm. use it to collaborate with, not to, not to write all the questions by itself, you know? And, and I think that's, that's, an opportunity for us to really consider going forward. So thanks so much for coming on. Really appreciate your time, Mike. Guys, thanks for having me. This has been fun. I appreciate it. Love what you guys are doing. Thanks for, um, thanks for doing it. Would Jesus use pulpit AI? (laughs) (laughs) I am. I, I have read way too much of Proverbs to ever speak for Jesus and talk about what Jesus (laughs) would or wouldn't do outside of what I have read in his words. No, I'm kidding. I don't know. He would. He definitely would use it. Whatever it takes to get the message across. <laughs> no, I don't. Great. We'll put that That's clip at question. the very front, and uh, yeah. so the people who <laughs> don't make it to the would end use it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I. It's, it was. It's, it's always a question. No, it is. I like it. I love it. Um, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. No. What I feel like guys, that's what often do you guys, the answer. What do you guys think? Would Jesus use pulpit AI? He wouldn't need to use pulpit AI. Let's be real. Yeah. Well, okay. Look, so he, I guess in like being God doesn't need to, because he can like, whatever, like multiply fish. So, but like he did use his disciples to write parts of the Bible to carry the gospel. So he did use others and he does use other like content mediums and stuff like that. So like, I think would he use a disciple who uses pulpit AI? Yeah, sure. 
would he do it directly? Maybe not, but that's under his kingdom, his kingdom domain. So I don't know. I'm in, I'm I'm more in the four camp. Yeah, I can see if if the apostle Paul lived today, he probably would have used Twitter. Like, I just can't imagine his personality not on Twitter, like Mm -hmm. being like, hey, update from prison, like heading to Corinth (laughs) soon. By the way, like read Isaiah, (laughs) you know, or like I just I get that vibe from him. And and I think you're right, Mike, of of let's not speak for Jesus and say declaratively one way or the other and get ourselves into blasphemous territory. Um, (laughs) So I don't know if Jesus would use pulpit AI, um, but yeah, I think there are principles that he would be very careful to apply. And yeah, he definitely seemed to leave some of the the writings of his to other people. There's some AI stuff that's out there that is clearly blasphemous. That's like impersonating Jesus and stuff. And that stuff is crazy. So glad that's what we don't bring those guys on this podcast. I'll tell you that. (laughs) Um, Anyways, let's wrap this up. This has been fun. Uh, Guys, this is awesome. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Uh, This has been What Would Jesus Tech? Encouraging everybody to use tech, to build tech too, um, to find rest and to glorify God. Thanks, everybody. Take care. See ya.